This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. The word of the Lord. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and said, Men, you know that this, from this business we have our wealth, and you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only of this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not even know why they had come together. (laughs) Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper to the great Artemis and of the sacred stone which fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, there are pro-councils, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, 
for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. I'm supposed to follow that? <laughs> Any questions about the text at all? <laughs> A great job, Dennis. Love it. Very good. Well, first of all, I want to start by giving you guys an update. Uh, if you don't know, um, about a week ago, my dad was in an accident. Uh, my 75-year-old father was riding his very large ATV uh, through the woods and was going up a hill and uh, didn't quite give it enough speed, and it came back and fell, and it fell on his right side of his face and literally crushed his eyeball and skull fractures, and then also he has a, a fractured vertebrae in his back. And so Monday uh, morning, when I just heard about all that, I got into a car, drove down to Nashville. And uh, so really from Monday through Thursday, um, I was uh, sitting in surgery recovery all that time because they didn't have a room for him. So we sat in surgery recovery for five days. But Dad, um, um, he had a surgery on uh, Monday a week ago. Then he also had surgery on Friday uh, to repair the fractures on his face uh, there. The back is inoperable. So he's, uh, he's all things considered, doing, doing well. Uh, talked to him again this morning. Uh, he looks like uh, Mike Tyson took it to him, uh, but um, he's doing pretty good. Um, he'll probably never recover full sight in his eye. Uh, they say a 5% chance of regaining any sight, and, so, um, and certainly never to what it was. So that's there. And so um, we would covet your continued prayers. Um, Landon and I are going to head down in the morning to go get him uh, from the hospital, and we're going to bring him to Fort Wayne for a season as he heals. So he'll be with us for a, you know, a month and a half. We don't know yet exactly, but until he's able to navigate on his own a little bit, and, um, and then um, probably from there he'll go to my sister's in Alaska. And uh, she uh, used to work for the VA and uh, she knows how to navigate all the VA red tape like nobody's business, so she, she'll take care of all of that. So I know you've been praying. I appreciate your prayers. would cover your continued prayers and all of that, and, um, and patience. I'll be taking this week off. Um, I greatly appreciate my staff stepping in to help. I did what I could down at the hospital, getting the sermon ready and all that, and they were great here, taking care of everything, and um, I'll take this week off to be able to get him settled here in Fort Wayne. So I'll be praying for all of that. All right. I'm going to pray one more time. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this text in front of us. And there's so much to learn here, Father. So I just want to pray just for now in this moment, this time, that you would teach us the things that we need to learn from this to be able to f effectively be witnesses in our day. So God, we ask that and we ask that you would empower this time in your strength. In Christ's name, amen. So it's, um, it's already mid-August which means that summer is going, and that means that uh, football season is coming. Yeah. And uh, we love the fall. I love the fall because of the colors. My birthday is uh, October 22nd. You can write that down if you want. And then um, football season starts, and we love football season. Now, I never played football, but Courtney and I watch a lot of football. And so there's some things I know. Like, I know how important it is when you're going up against a team to watch the tape 
you know, to watch the videos of the team, to study the opponent, to look at the plays they normally run, to find out their key players and what the key players can do, and to really get a good plan together to really meet uh, the opposition well. And uh, this morning, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how important it is uh, to meet the opposition well, to know the opposition. Very, very important because I believe what we have here in the text is this incredible example of what the opposition can do. And uh, this is uh, certainly the opposition at their most passionate as they are rioting in the temple of Artemis. Uh, But there's a lot to learn here. So let's go back again and get a little bit of background. Take a look at verse 21. This is really interesting where Paul's heart goes. It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go down to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So the spirit had led Paul to Ephesus. And now for two and a half years, Paul has been faithfully ministering to these people. But now the Holy Spirit is moving him along, which, by the way, is what it means when it says he resolved in the Spirit. That definite article is there in the text. So what, it's a beautiful way that Luke is writing this. Really, he's saying the Holy Spirit is moving him along, and Paul's, Paul's Spirit is moving with the Holy Spirit. But now God is moving Paul along, and his heart is changing. And his heart goes to Rome. This is another one of those key transitions, the beginning, really, of a key transition for the rest of the book, because now Paul's heart is going to be set to Rome, and Paul is going to eventually get to Rome, though not the way he thinks he's going to. And that's a whole nother sermon for another day, but there's a, a lot going on. But now that God has used Paul greatly in Ephesus and the gospel is moving forward now, we see what we always see and we see opposition. Verse number 23. Now about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This interesting title for Christianity, the way. After all, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And coming from that, the Christianity got its name, The Way. And as the gospel moves forward, opposition rises to meet it, which always happened with Paul. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. Isn't that an interesting little transition there? my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, here it is, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Most of my years growing up as a child, America as a whole was at least fairly friendly to Christianity. But man, have things changed. And if those days aren't gone, if they're not long gone, they are certainly going. And that means the more we, Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne, live on mission, the more we proclaim the gospel and get it forward here in our city, the more the opposition will come to meet. And so we too need to know the opposition. In fact, that's the first part of the big idea. So if you could write this down, first part of the big idea is let's know the opposition. Let's know the opposition. And we're going to study them here in this text, in this story. But church, why know them? 
Do we need to know the opposition to fight them? Do we need to know the opposition to battle them? It feels like that's a lot of what modern evangelical Christianity has done with the opposition. But I want to get the heart of Paul. And Paul is in Ephesus for two and a half years not to beat or win the minds, but to win the souls. And so finish the big idea this way. Let's know the opposition to win them. And I want that to be our heart. Because it's easy, man. It's easy when that opposition is coming up and you feel that tension to have a lot of passion and drive to fight. But I want to have a passion and drive for the gospel and to see people come to know Christ. So along that line, I want to give four truths about the opposition that we need to know and we can see and help us understand that. Number one, write this down, the foundation of the opposition, the foundation of the opposition. It's really interesting, this stump speech that Demetrius gives, and I want to investigate that a little bit. So let's go back to verse number 23. Now, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together uh, with a worker, workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our church. What's the word that's used there? Wealth. Wealth. Hmm. And you see that um, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours will uh, come into dispute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that that she may be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. It's really interesting because what you see in this text is a really important truth. Was it really the idols that were so important to this silversmith? Was it really... Worshiping Artemis, really. Now he reveals his heart when he says, from this trade we have our wealth. Church, listen, there is an idol behind every idol. And very often, when we're dealing with the issue, the issue isn't the issue. It's the heart behind the issue that's the real issue. And it's hard to tell, it's hard to see. But the reality is there is an idol behind every idol. Now, there are two, I think, that are mentioned specifically in this text. The first is that a desire for wealth. A desire for wealth is certainly there. We saw that in verse 25. And it's obvious these guys were silversmiths. This was their job. Their job was to make idols, these, these statues and um, little vessels to contain the statues, and they would sell them. And they were making lots of money off all of that. And so, yeah, this, this uh, and in fact, it's, it's awesome that so many people were turning from that worship to worship Jesus, that these guys' business was in danger. I think it's awesome to see that. But they love money. And they love wealth. And the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. No sooner was my dad in the ER than people were calling him, clamoring for his stuff. And he is not a wealthy man, but 
I'm going to get really upset and angry if I keep going. So I'm going to go on to the next verse. So you have wealth that is there, wealth that is there, that's a desire. But this is really interesting because then it goes on in verse number 27 to the temple of Artemis. And there is great danger not only that in this trade of ours may come into dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. Now that's really a very silly statement. Because at this time, the temple of Artemis is probably the most magnificent structure in all the world. It has been known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Albert Barnes described the temple this way, 220 years were required to bring it to completion. It was 425 feet in length, 220 in breadth, and was supported by 127 pillars of um, Parian marble, each of which was 60 feet high. These pillars were furnished by as many princes, and 36 of them were curiously carved, and the rest were finely polished. Each pillar, as supposed with this base, uh, contained 150 tons of marble. It's a massive, beautiful temple. And was it really going to come as nothing? No, but they were concerned about the notoriety. We're known for something here. Man, at Ephesus, we are known to be the temple of the great goddess, goddess Artemis. So there was a desire for wealth. There was a desire for uh, notoriety that was driving them. And it's not unheard of in our day. In fact, this is, you know, we lived in Minnesota for five years, and there was this really interesting competition going on between uh, Duluth, Minnesota, and Bemidji, Minnesota, about where the real hometown of Paul Bunyan was. And so, uh, seriously, so you go to both, and there are these massive statues that were built, and the hometown of Paul Bunyan, you go to this place, the hometown, and there were festivals, and celebrations, and parades, and, and you kind of want to tap someone on the shoulder and say, he wasn't real. <laughs> but a massive debate, and uh, but because of the notoriety that it brought, we are the hometown of Paul Bunyan. Man, we love notoriety. Don't we love it? Look at people's social media feeds. Like the other day, someone posted on there they had gotten one of those industrial um, snakes for snaking out your pipes. And, and I know this because they posted on the social media not only that they got one, but also what they found when they rooted out their pipes. And you kind of think, why do you think the world wants to see this? No one wants to see that. Or like, you know, hey, oh, I busted my toe, it's all bloody, snap a picture, post it online. No one wants to see your bloody toe. In fact, can I just get this off my chest? The next time you go to the beach and you want the world to see that you're at the beach and what you're seeing at the moment, all you have to do is angle the camera up a degree or two so we don't have to see your nasty, dirty, sandy feet, okay? Just pull it up a little bit and we'll get, no one wants to see your feet. So I'm just saying, this is, we love the accolades and the notoriety and I think we love it as people more than we really even realize we do. This is a lot of why I've taken steps away from social media. It's a great temptation, and it's also just you see the heart over and over again. Why, don't, why are you posting that? But here's the point in all of this. If you attack the issue at the presentation of the issue, what it seems that they're saying that they're really about, 
You're missing the point because it's not the issue. The idol is not the There's something deeper. There's an idol behind the idol. So I'm going to use a, this example several times today, but let's talk a little bit about how passionate people are about abortion. It's not really that they care a whole lot about what people say about how a woman uses her body. That's an issue. But there are issues behind the issue. And, and maybe it's a desire for pleasure. They just want to live their life the way they want to live the life and erase the consequences if they have to. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's security. I, I, I have a life I want to live and I can't live that life if I have this baby with me. And, but there are issues underneath the issues and you can try to win it with logic that's a life in there. If they found a beating heart on Mars, they would say, yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Great point. Phenomenal argument. Never going to win them. Why, if you just shouldn't have sex? Yeah. True. Until you're ready to have a baby, you shouldn't. Or you're married. Let me put that there first. And ready to have a baby, you shouldn't. But is that going to win them? See, we're attacking the mind and, and, and the mind isn't what rules mankind. It's the heart. So church, let's win the heart before we try to win the mind. Win the heart before we try to win the mind. Just know this. The foundation of the opposition are heart desires that are driving them. I'm going to say it clearly again. The foundation of the opposition is really heart desires that are driving them. And if we're going to win this city for Jesus, we're going to have to look beyond that. In fact, it kind of brings us to this, the passion of the opposition. Because uh, point number two, let's look at the passion of the opposition. Because it gets really heated. Take a look at verse number 28 again. And I feel silly reading after Dennis read, but I'll try again. When they, it's, like, it's like someone trying to play basketball after Jordan plays basketball. You just shouldn't do it. But anyway, uh, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusions. And they, no, watch this now. And they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them these guys, these Macedonians who they do who knows what with them. They get so passionate, so enraged, they're grabbing people, they're dragging them to the temple. And whatever they did with these guys, uh, Paul, it had to be bad, because as Paul tries to go in, Paul's friends were like, dude, don't go in there. Whatever they did to them, they're going to do to you, and that ain't good. Now, I don't know Paul's heart. The text doesn't say specifically. I got to believe Paul's going in there and saying, look at all these people gathered. Let's preach Jesus to them. Whatever the case is, it's not good. It's passionate. It's driven. It's, it looks crazy on paper. And I'm telling you, how does it get there? This is how deep, how deep the idols go. And when you don't have Jesus, these deeper idols become the most precious thing to you. And when people's most precious thing is threatened, it gets ugly. When you threaten their most precious thing, it gets ugly. So again, let me go back to this abortion. Do we see a very passionate display of that desire? 
horrific. And, and you see this kind of passionate display in church. Tell me what our first response is to that. Don't you want to just get a bunch of our people together and go the opposite side of wherever they are with our signs and, and our vehemence and say, it's a life, it's a life, and try to fight that battle? Don't you want to meet passion with passion? And I think meeting passion with passion is the right thing. But it's passion pointed toward the soul of the people. It's passion pointed toward the preaching of the gospel. Because when force meets force, there's carnage. And we're talking about spiritual issues. And when spiritual force meets spiritual force, it's just destruction and damage. And our heart needs to be, yes, let your passion for Jesus drive you, but it's a passion for the gospel to win the souls of the people that are in need. Look, whenever there is um, something that startles you, there are two key responses. You learn them in psychology 101. There's either fight or there's flight, okay? And those are the two responses that American evangelicalism is taking to the opposition in the culture today. Flight, let's just pretend it's not an issue, or let's just mold in with the culture so we're not causing any issues. And hasn't a great amount of modern evangelicalism gotten weak about the issues? Or the other response is to fight, to fight. And what I'm saying is let's measure our passion and point it to evangelism. Because it goes deeper yet. I want to talk about the motivation for the opposition. The foundation, idols behind the idols, heart desires that really drive where the real battle is fought. Passion for the opposition is definitely there and our passion needs to be a passion for their souls. But I want to take it even a step further and talk about the deeper motivation that's here because I think what's interesting is is Demetrius' speech. I want to go back to it for a second. I want you to, to just check this out. Uh, let's look at uh, then verse number 25 again. Uh, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying these gods made with hands are not gods and there is danger not only in this trade to come into disrepute but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be uh, counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And I don't know how much of that Demetrius actually believes, but what he's doing is he is stirring something up in the people, a deeper drive. In fact, John MacArthur says this, Demetrius cleverly played upon his hearers' fears of financial ruin, religious zeal, and concern for their city's prestige. Fear was the motivation 
that drove the passion that is there, fear. In church, we live in a culture that's very afraid. So Drew has me reading this book, uh, Recovering Our Sanity by Michael Horton. Uh, what was awesome is that, you know, with a six-hour drive down, a six-hour drive back, I got a lot of time to listen to books on tape. And uh, so I, I knocked out a, a good portion of it, and boy, uh, it really just touches on quite a bit of where our culture is today. And Michael Horton said this, uh, we are told that boomers are afraid of getting old, millennials are concerned that they're not special, <laughs> and members of Generation Z are worried about everything. Illicit drug use and alcoholism are on the rise, and suicide is now the second leading cause of death among children, adolescents, and young adults aged 15 to 23. During 2020, approximately 93,000 drug overdose deaths occurred in the U.S. There are myriad such uh, causes of such conditions, but fear and anxiety are major drivers. And the media knows it. And they stir it up. There's a lot of reasons why they're there, but here's another quote from Horton. He says this, fear is such a powerful drug that it is easily exploited. Not only hucksters, but sometimes even medical, pharmaceutical, and insurance companies, along with investment marketers and public scientists, sell fear. CNN and Fox could hardly survive without it. Tyrants, whether political leaders or employers, create a culture of fear to rise to power and then to tamp down dissent. And this is the air we breathe. It gets more clicks, more patience, more drones following along. And it's not just people that are driven by the opposition and, and it's, it's, it's people who have the same values that we would have that still use fear as a major driver. And so what do we do? We see their vehemence, we see their passion, and so we meet it with our own. And it becomes an us versus them mentality. One more time, let me quote Michael Horton. According to our side... We must not only disagree, but we must be afraid of them. This is what the myriad political pundits on the right and left do every day to gin up fear and anger meter. In fact, if you disagree with a right-wing guru, you might not be a patriot or a Christian. And if you disagree with left-wing agenda, then you must be canceled. And we're more divided than ever. Am I off here? You guys see this too? Now, we're on a mission. And we're on a mission to win them and their hearts. So, question to you. What do we do to meet fear? What conquers fear? Where'd you get that crazy idea? How about 1 John 4.18? There is no fear in church. Read it with me, would you please? I just want to read this together. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
They don't need our vehement, passionate opposition to them. What they need is to know there is a God. He is in complete control and he loves you. Again, let me say, we don't need to know our opposition in order to fight them. We need to know our opposition in order to win them. And we're gonna win them with love. So listen, let's put some feet to this. Do, do you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Or all your Christians, all your friends Christians and saved and all that? Do you have some people in your sphere that don't know Christ? So why don't we put some feet to this and show them love this week? Why don't we get specific and pick a name and then think about an activity that we can do some way to show them love? Maybe it's opening up your home for a dinner. Maybe it's, it's paying for something that there were, I don't know what it is. Let the Lord lay those specifics on your heart. But why don't we get specific and show love because it's love that casts out fear. And behind all of this is a fear that's there. And they need to know that Jesus loves them. Now, you can't do any of that with the Holy Spirit. So pray and see what God will do. Motivation is fear and fear is met with love. Now, this is um, interesting, so I want us to see this together. The confusion in the opposition. The confusion in the opposition. Look at uh, verse number 32. And this is definitely, as Dennis picked up on, this is definitely uh, Luke writing and embracing some of the Greek humor of his day. But this really reveals something. Uh, now, some cried out one thing and some another, but the assembly was in church, what? Confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. How many of them? Look at your text. How many? Most of them. The great majority of the crowd were just doing what everybody else was doing. Did they share the same passionate views as Demetrius and the silversmiths? They had no idea. They just followed the crowd. I dare you tomorrow to go out dressed like this. I bet you as I empty out my dad's closet tomorrow, I'm gonna to find some of this clothes for sure. Definitely find some of the stuff on the left. But you got, you got a good array of, of course, that's 70s, and then that's the 90s. And um, I can't believe I used to have pants a lot like that. But anyway, um, yeah, so go out tomorrow dressed like that. You wouldn't do it. They did. <laughs> you, you get in a time machine and hop back to 1970, you're going to find all kinds of leisure suits. And big hairy chests with medallions on them. You're going to find that out there. Why? Because why? that's what the crowd was doing. And I hope this sheds light on our current culture. I wonder how many 
of these young people who are claiming to be in the LGBTQ plus community are really have those same desires or if they're just not following the crowd. And what I want that to stir in your heart as you consider what this text revealed to us, which is very helpful to know, hope it stirs in your heart an incredible compassion. It's frustrating. It's angering. It stirs us up. But the response needs to be a response of compassion. So, knowing the foundation is deeper than what it seems, knowing there's a passion that can be distracting to us if we're not careful, but let's let our passion be the gospel. Knowing there's a motivation of fear and they just need love. And knowing there's a great amount of confusion out there, our heart needs to be, let's win them. So here's how we're gonna end the sermon today. Uh, pull out your phone or something to write down. If you're analog, get a pen, get a piece of paper. If you're digital, get your phone, get your notes app out. I'm checking to see if you're actually doing it or not. Okay, pastor's just like, oh, you mean sometimes you really aren't on the TV? <laughs> you know, because the TV guy doesn't care if you do it or not. The Jamie guy does. So get your stuff out. And what we're going to do is I want you to, um, I'm going to pray in a moment and we'll give you some time. What I want you to do is I want you to put a name down on paper, on that note, choose somebody and say, this is the person. Then I want you to think, okay, here's a person. This is what I'm going to do for them this week. And then the last thing I want you to put down is, this is when I'm going to do it. I talk a lot about this in counseling, and I know we've mentioned it several times from the pulpit. Um, we're not just called to know God's word, but we're called to, church, do God's word. Know God's word and do God's word. And, and oftentimes, we know it, we know it, and we really, really want to do it, but getting the bridge between knowing and doing, something is lost in all of that. And I think that bridge is, is um, traversed by intentionality, having a plan. For example, how many of you are reading your Bible as much as you should? Don't raise your hand, you arrogant people. How many of you are reading your Bible as much as you should? And none of us should probably raise your hand and say, yes, I read as much as I should. And probably a, a daily devotions is a struggle for a lot of people. Here are two questions you can answer to help really settle in your daily devotions. What am I going to read and when am I going to read it? And should we be winning Fort Wayne with the gospel? Is that going to come wrapped up in a lot of acts of love? Okay, so then who am I going to reach? How am I going to show them love? What am I going to do? And then when am I going to do it? So I'm going to pray right now. I want you to pray. I want you to take a moment, put this down, and then I'll come up and I'll close this all together. So Father, I just ask for your guidance right now. Your Holy Spirit's moving and I pray, Father, that you would help just lay people on our hearts. God, even right now, there's so much frustration I have surrounding the things about my dad, but I need to have a heart of the love for the sake of the gospel. And I would pray that you would work in my heart in that. And I don't know what everyone else is dealing with, but God, you do. And my heart's prayer is that you would help love and a desire to reach people with Jesus be the thing that just 
trumps. And then, Father, give us a name, give us a thing, and we'll do it in Christ's name. So take a minute and pray and write that down, then I'll come close this in a second. Not only do you see that name, you know that person. And we acknowledge right now, it is not our acts of love, it is not our wise ways of putting the gospel that opens up hearts to believe. Only you can do that. Only you can quicken the heart to believe. And so right in this moment, God, we say every name written down, would you do that? Would you let this be a step toward them coming to know you as Savior? God, would you change our hearts and give us the hearts to win the souls instead of fight the minds? Give us a greater, deeper passion for the gospel. And then do a work that only you can do in our city. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Your loved redemption. Thank you.